This is RNZ National, 26 minutes past 10. Are we ready to get wired? He is totally wired with the media all the time, and he's a big fan of that group, The Fall, Colin Peacock. I can't believe two of us in the same studio who like that sort of music, Colin. Yes, yes, I think it's a bit of an acquired taste, and I suppose you have to go back. But early 1980s, I think there was a pro- probably I would have been too young for it at the time, but uh, got to know it, yeah. uh, got to know it later. But yeah, <laughs> what I think I love about that song, Totally Wired, I think there is one guitar chord being held all the way through. Oh, being played by, I think, Mark Riley, the guitar player. So, ding, yeah. Ding, 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 ding. yeah, well done. Yeah, all the way through. Well, midweek media watch time it is, so lovely to see you in studio. You had a nice ride in, did you? Uh, yeah, it was earlier in the day, though, about midday. It was definitely bracing uh, in Wellington. I arrived sort of brittle ears. I banged into the locker on the way past and realised my ear was completely numb. Uh, but I don't suppose it's going to be any warmer on the way back uh, after 11pm. Uh, good luck. I can't <laughs> fit a bike in my car, sorry. Oh dear. <laughs> Let's start with TVNZ. TVNZ boosts free sport on air and online. Quite a significant announcement from TVNZ about free-to-air sport, Colin. Yes, indeed. And this is all coming about because uh, Spark Sport Uh, The division of the telco formerly known as Telecom uh, has decided to close down. So that was fairly widely signalled, I think, late last year that they would close down on the 1st of July. So at that point, I think late December uh, last year, TVNZ announced they were going to pick up the kind of crown jewels of Spark Sport, which was the cricket, the most popular item driving subscribers to Sky Sport. Um, But now they say they're going to uh, pick up a lot of the other sporting content uh, that Spark Sport had. The other big thing they had was Formula One, but that's gone to Sky. Sky snapped that up. Um, But what TVNZ is doing is interesting. They say they'll create uh, a new sports hub inside TVNZ Plus, that's formerly TVNZ On Demand, the online uh, streaming service they've got, to complement putting some of the cricket coverage on actual live TV, because they think it's popular enough to justify that. So you'll see Black Caps matches, White Ferns, uh, One Day Internationals, and some test matches will be put on TVNZ's Duke uh, channel, the the third of its channels, Um, it's it's digital-only channels. And uh, there'll be other stuff, domestic T20 League, Super Smash. Apparently, according to a stuff report from last year, some 300 cricket fixtures were part of this deal. So that's a lot of cricket. And TVNZ also said this morning that some other events other than cricket that they think might have enough appeal will also be played out on actual broadcast telly as well as the on-demand stuff. So, for example, men's uh, basketball World Cup games, um, Super Bowl even, and... um, Rugby union tests for um, Manu Samoa, the Samoa national side, men's side, also on on telly. Okay, so explain how the the online sports hub works. Well, it's fairly straightforward. It's a part of TVNZ TVNZ Plus, as it is now called. So when you go on that, either on a mobile app or on a computer via a website, uh, you'll see the whole menu available. There's the TV shows, the movies, the news, and all of that. Uh, They sometimes mess around with their headings and change things around to try and sort of promote different 
parts of content, but you'll see a link called Sport, which they say will, uh, you click through it, they'll take you to an actual streaming platform. So there there will be live coverage if there's anything live on they have the rights to, but also replays to watch from the start if you want, of um, and highlights, also extra content. So that will all be there. You do, of course, have to have an account with TVNZ uh, Plus to use the service. It's been like that for the last few years. Um, and that, of course, is so that they can target you with adverts because if you're not paying for the product, you are the product these days. Um, so they do say, though, advertising will be placed mindfully to ensure minimal disruption to the live action. So possibly not slap bang in the middle of uh, a test match or a cricket over, but probably between the overs would be um, my best guess. This comes pretty soon. Spark Sports switches off in, in July, so will all its other stuff move to TVNZ on this new hub as well? Yeah, yeah, that's all going to be there. So the, the full list, um, if you're ready for it. Um, first of all, on the cricket, just to clarify, there will be it'll be New Zealand-based cricket, the home internationals, Super Smash, domestic one-day finals as well. It also says here England and Wales cricket beginning with the second Ashes test, which is a surprise. I would have thought that would be Sky Television territory. But anyhow, also on the list. Uh, NFL, now that's American football, I think. Um, MotoGP, which is motorcycle racing, yep. I think. Uh, the World Rally Championship, rally cars, WTA tennis. Now it says the US Open Championship, that could be tennis or golf, couldn't it? That's a good point. I'm, <laughs> I'm not 100% sure. Although it's listed below the WTA be. tennis. Let's say it's the tennis. Anyway, the, uh, they'll also have Super Suncorp netball from Australia and Australian Diamonds netball. I think that's their national side. Uh, International Basketball Federation FIBA matches in football. Um, they'll have Women's Super League, which I think is the European competition, um, FA Cup from the UK and the Arnold Clark Cup. Diamond League Athletics, Ladies European Tour Golf, United Rugby Championship, and the aforementioned uh, Manu Samoa, uh, Lakapi Samoa rugby matches. So that's the full list. If symptoms persist, see your health professional. Thank you. <laughs> it's quite a turnaround, though, from the past where TVNZ more or less gave up on live sport and left it open to Sky Sport. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it, it, one thing that was a bit of an anomaly was Wimbledon. TVNZ for quite a few years seemed to have the rights alone to Wimbledon. Uh, all the other Grand Slam tennis, I think, on Sky TV. So a bit of a surprise. It didn't really work for them, though, because they had to keep, if they had an interesting match playing during the afternoon that went into the evening in UK time, it would crash the TVNZ breakfast show on TV1. Now, of course, they have that Duke channel. But there was a time when, when TV first went digital and they launched Freeview and extra channels. And the promise was, oh, now the broadcasters like MediaWorks and TVNZ are not restricted by you know, having to just TV1, TV2 and the scarcity of, of uh, spectrum. Um, and all sorts of new exciting channels will flourish. Well, it didn't really happen, although one TVNZ effort was creating a sport extra channel. I think it only ran for a couple of years. Every time I looked at it, it seemed to be some sort of motorsport I wasn't particularly interested in. And it did cost the money to broadcast the extra channels, albeit that Freeview had kind of gifted them the spectrum. So, yes, that flowering of uh, extra content didn't really work and uh, their effort to um, boost sport uh, didn't happen. But now, because of streaming and the capacity they've got online uh, and broadband in so many more homes, it's, it's now happening. A lot of people will say, what's the point of having Sky Sport? One glaringly obvious sport that's not there is the 
rugby as in the All Blacks or Super Rugby and so on? Absolutely. That's still driving their subscriptions and persuading people to buy uh, packaged up subscriptions. You still need uh, um, to use their devices as well, their best devices like the Skybox. You still need to have an account, a receiver, a dish and all of that jazz. So yes, Sky's still in the game for that. They will not relinquish uh, All Black Live rugby rights uh, without a fight and Super Rugby or all sorts of um, Premier Rugby really. But it does take me back a bit when I think about this. I used to predict on Media Watch years ago that broadcasters might become kind of content divisions of telcos um, <laughs> the telcos would take over but um, now it's not really happening the telcos like Spark like Vodafone are getting out of broadcasting content and uh, you know people don't really need them for the for the, for the the connectivity so uh, yeah it just shows if you went back a few years ago and listened to what I was saying about this stuff you'd be listening to me now and think well what does that guy know <laughs> Well, tomorrow Auckland Council votes on the controversial budget measures proposed by the Mayor Wayne Brown. Now, since the last midweek media watch, the way those were first made public by Wayne Brown antagonised the media, not for the first time, Colin. (laughs) No, indeed. No, Wayne Brown annoyed journalists almost as soon as he became the mayor, refusing uh, about 100 media requests and accepting, I think, two. Uh, We got him on the floods, remember? The the day of the the Auckland floods. The Auckland anniversary weekend floods, that's right. I was here. I had to work that night. That was that that really awkward night in Auckland. We had Wayne Brown, and that was actually quite a surprise. I, I do recall that. That was a stellar work by the Auckland newsroom to, to get him on. Um, but yeah, then he called reporters drongos before that because they'd been inquiring, what are you going to be doing about this bad weather that's coming, sir? And uh, he told his tennis mates, journalists were drongos that, uh, of course, circulate around the media. Um, and then he didn't turn up when the official inquiry into his handling of those floods, including his uh, ability to communicate or not with the media, uh, was released. He, he wasn't there, left it to Mike Bush, the former police commissioner. Um, and yes, last Thursday he was accused of cherry-picking media at the press conference. Well, in fact, at a what they're now saying isn't a media event, we're saying at the time, but where he revealed his budget plans to a selected audience, um, which uh, was is basically all the lead-up to the actual vote they're going to take tomorrow. So it turned out, yeah, RNZ was allowed in. Um, and the Herald, Simon Wilson uh, of, of the New Zealand Herald, was their stuff, TVNZ and News Hub. So both television broadcasters uh, shut out and stuff, the biggest news operation in the country. Um, this stuff was saying, look, in the audience, there were business leaders, former politicians, even the former league coach, Sir Graham Lowe, all there. And some reporters uh, threatened to walk out and protest uh, in fact, some did, and that got this response from Wayne Brown. It appears some of the media have decided that they've got to fix a budget for Auckland, but it appears some of the media have decided that they don't want because they weren't all invited, but some of the media have been pretty nasty, and we did invite media who are sensible and the media who are not weren't invited and have now decided some of them to bugger off. Well, that's all right with me. <laughs> Clearly not all right with the media, though. No, absolutely not. And another of those who was shut out, and there's some excellent video on the Stuff website of him and other journalists trying to get into a later briefing, and you can see the frustration on his face. But when he was on uh, the News Hub at 6 Bulletin that night, News Hub's Nick Truebridge uh, summed up uh, what happened to them on the day like this. So the situation we've found ourselves in down at Viaduct Harbour this morning is the Mayor has started his press conference but he's locked out half of the Auckland media. It's not only News Hub out here, Stuff has also been locked out as well as TVNZ. Eventually we got into what was a stakeholder speech with media Brown's team felt was best able to convey the Mayor's message. It was our 
person for a while, Nick Truebridge. He was indeed. Yep. Well, that really got a combined response on behalf of all media afterwards, didn't it? Yeah. So the Media Freedom Committee, uh, uh, which is the august sounding body that represents basically the mutual interests of uh, the news media. So it's really a journalism focused body that responded pretty quickly. And uh, Nick Truebridge has done such a good job of explaining what went on and keeping his own feelings uh, suppressed a little. Uh, Here he is telling News Hub viewers about that. We've heard from the chair of the Media Freedom Committee, that's RNZ's Richard Sutherland, this afternoon. He wrote a letter to Mayor Brown describing the day's events as troubling and pointing out something most of us know, which is that the media play a crucial role in keeping the public informed. The Mayor's office has returned serve this afternoon, basically saying that the actual reason we couldn't get in was because of a capacity issue at AT. Of course, that differs completely from what media were told earlier today about the fact that they wanted someone who would convey the mayor's message. They also said it wasn't a media event, also puzzling given given some media were invited. Now that claim that it wasn't actually a media event, surely that doesn't hold water does it? Well, there were some people there who were not uh, media, so there were some community stakeholders, Graham Lowe, as we mentioned. Uh, But look, by any measure, this was an announcement that was going to be public knowledge, as the Mayor's staff uh, indeed told the locked-out journalists, and clearly there was public interest in this. So some media who actually found out about this in advance asked for more information, didn't get any, let alone an invitation. And it all reminded me a little bit, actually, there was an announcement back in 2012 by the um, Christchurch Earthquake Recovery Minister, Jerry Brownlee, and this was invitations sent out from CIRA, the Christchurch Earthquake Recovery Authority, uh, to journalists and inviting them to a kind of reception. So some felt they didn't really need the wine and cheese and didn't go that night, and it turned out to be a pretty big reveal of recovery plans with an animated presentation and so on, all timed for the 6pm news, and some reporters then were kind of ropeable that something so newsworthy had been disguised as a, a, a not, not a, a media event or not a media conference. And so I think reporters are required to leave people in no doubt when they approach people or ask them for an interview, why they're doing it, what's expected of them, and then the details like whether it's on off the record and taking notes, all of that. And I think, you know, really when there's an event like this, they do deserve the same sort of clarity about what sort of event it is from a public organisation like Auckland Council. So if Wayne Brown wanted to accommodate outlets able to, so he says, best convey the Mayor's message, as we heard News Hub's Nick Truebridge said there, what is he saying about those media, Colin? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, it's not good, is it? I mean, it's not really clear what Wayne Brown or his media team actually think are the media outlets that would be good for them and and why not. Um, for example, Simon Wilson, the New Zealand Herald columnist, was there from the start. Now, he'd been Mayor Brown's number one irritant. If you recall, during the election campaign for for the mayoralty, uh, Wayne Brown turned up at a News Hub Nation debate, all mic'd up with cameras running, but before the thing actually, the interview actually took place, saying that he didn't like Simon Wilson and when he got elected as mayor, he was going to stick pictures of Simon Wilson's face on the council building's urinals. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Now, this this was actually discussed by or referenced by. Um, uh, the, the Working Group podcast that was uh, yesterday, I think it came out, uh, Simon Wilson appeared on it and the host, Martin Bradbury, announced him as, um, for Wayne Brown, Simon Wilson, as toxic as a urinal cake uh, in Chernobyl or something like that. And uh, Simon Wilson had a chuckle at that and said, yeah, I was invited. I don't know why. I simply don't know what it was I did right 
in Wayne Brown's eyes. So it, it is very odd. So one who was excluded was uh, the spin-offs editor-at-large, Toby Manhire. He said, look, we're not the biggest drongos in the media jungle. We get it if we weren't invited. But to exclude Stuff TVNZ and News Hub, that's a lot of readers, a lot of viewers, a lot of Aucklanders, of course. He described it as petulant to the point of juvenile uh, to bar about half the media outlets um, from attending. And, uh, yeah, obviously handpicking ones they consider best able to convey the mayor's message and, you know, leaving out the biggest news organisation of all stuff. Uh, yeah, that's that's clearly not on. Yeah, well, Wayne Brown clearly doesn't mind irritating media. So mm. what consequences are there, for example, you know, beyond media disapproval? <laughs> well, possibly not much the media can do about it. But, you know, as we know, the mayor needs councillors to back that plan. Um and it can't really help to cut out uh, the media. So I'm thinking hundreds of thousands of Aucklanders and, and indeed other New Zealanders last Thursday would have heard about that media spat in 6pm news bulletins. And they would have been presented that news by you know, reporters from those two organisations, TVNZ News Hub, that were both shut out. And of course they're hearing about that and not about the policy or the plans that Mayor Brown says he wants media who he thinks are good uh, to, to, to spread that message. So it's not really controlling this message that media are being told he wants to spread through media he considers worthy of it. Um, it's actually kind of obscuring it. And Simon Wilson, when he wrote his weekly column for The Herald uh, yesterday, Tuesday, uh, said, well, Brown is playing a high-stakes game, hoping to he even called some councillors uh, financially illiterate. Uh, so that is a high-risk game, says Simon. He says, at this point, it wouldn't be a surprise if some of his supporters give up and vote against his plans to sell the airport shares, for instance. And he said, a few councillors will want to send Brown any kind of signal, says Simon Wilson, that such behaviour is an acceptable or effective way of getting things done. And then Simon spent the rest of his column talking about the numbers, you know, the spending cuts, the impact on debt, that airport sales uh share sale idea, pros and cons, you know, as as where, that's where the focus should be. But look, the conduct of the mayor is a distraction. There are no two ways about it. So it is annoying for media, but maybe the public doesn't care or doesn't notice or even approve of him goading the press. Yeah, I, th- I think that's possibly right. And we kind of know that some do because there was an exclusive story uh, revealing some of the feedback from the citizens to the mayor that the mayor himself, Wayne Brown, shared with some of his councillors. This was a a story by um, a guy you might have heard of, Hayden Donnell, Media Watch guy. Yes, you yes, come I across heard him once or twice. Yeah, once or twice. Yeah, uh, so he had a story saying that uh, yeah, Wayne Brown sent councillors an email, uh, which was a, a kind of compendium of uh, feedback that he'd received that he wanted council to read. One of them said, can I ask which of the dipshit councillors are against the sale of the airport? Shame you can't kick them, uh, kick their ass Wayne, uh, because that's where their brains are. Um, keep up the good work, Mayor Brown. That's Jim. A guy called John from Wellington said, keep up your good work and keep attacking the left-wing media. They are drongos. So support from Wellington, not really Wayne's support base there. Um, but one guy called Gordon wrote in and said, look, I'm actually concerned about this excluding of the media from the press conference. If you can't handle the heat, maybe it's time for you to reconsider whether you're the right person to lead our great city, he told Wayne Brown. So that message too was in the uh, digest of email feedback Wayne Brown received that he passed on to other councillors. So the next uh, instalment in this saga is tomorrow when the councillors actually do vote and uh, maybe we'll find out if the mayor's conduct had uh, uh, helped him out in the outcome he wants. Well, the same day, Stuff had to deal with a snub from Wayne Brown. It announced a big 
executive shake-up. Yep, same day. So what the company calls the next generation of stuff leadership has been announced. So just going back a bit, it was in uh, early 2020, start of the COVID lockdowns. Sinead Boucher bought the entire company, New Zealand's biggest news organisation, for $1 mm. uh, from its Australian owners, the, the Nine Group in Australia, who really didn't didn't want it. They, they wanted to get rid of it. Um, so she became, <clears throat> at one stroke, for one dollar, uh, the chief editor and the chief executive of the company, which is a pretty big role. So now they're saying she's going to be the executive chair and publisher of the company. So a kind of upstairs move or sideways upstairs move. Uh, she'll focus on the strategic future of the business, its products and journalism, says the official statement. So others are getting some of these other responsibilities. Laura Maxwell is the chief executive of the Stuff Group. She's um, formerly uh, kind of did the digital transition for the rival publisher, NZME, the owner of the Herald and other newspapers. She came across from them. Uh, so too did Nadia Tolich from NZME. She worked at their radio station, News Talk ZB. She's uh, been uh, heading up the audio division, effectively. She's been given a role as managing director of Stuff Digital, so that shows that's still important to them. And Joanna Norris, the formerly the editor of the press, who left for a while to work for the, the Christchurch promotion agency, Christchurch NZ, then came back to uh, Stuff when Sinead Boucher took over. And she's going to be effectively uh, in charge of the papers with the, the title of managing director of Stuff Publishing. Interesting. So what does it really mean for the company and for the readers of, of stuff papers and, and for the website or websites? Yeah, well, I doubt readers will really notice any difference immediately, but it sort of signals a few things. I mean, the one thing is, as I mentioned, Sinead Boucher, having taken the company over uh, and you know, bought it out in that form, yeah, she had a lot of responsibility, a lot of power. Now, initially, the staff were really happy um, because, you know, they felt that it had been rescued by, you know, one of their own from offshore owners and that they could play a, a role in this. Um, but there have been, there has been some discontent at stuff about, say, a re regional reorganisation of newsrooms, some staff cutbacks. Uh, also, some people I know at stuff don't feel great about the way resources are put into this projects like podcasts and perhaps away from news and things like that. So maybe spreading out the roles and responsibilities um, might might ameliorate that a little bit. It might be run in a slightly different way. Um, but also interesting, I think, Joanna Norris um, running those newspapers. She's highly experienced. And that shows, I think, a, a good degree of commitment to those. And also the fact, as we mentioned, Nadia Tolich coming from the rival company, um, I think that shows that they really are serious about the podcast, the new digital engagement, which, you know, is something they've had to cut, catch up with as a kind of paper company descended from one, you know, that's almost completely come out of um, newspapers. And unlike their big rivals at NZME, they don't have an audio division on, on the radio. They have no radio stations. So it's new, new newish territory for them. Well, it's media awards season. One of the things that stood out at last week's radio awards was prizes for a station that only survived until April of this year. Yes, yes, and is now uh, completely defunct. So that was Today FM, um, which launched with a hiss and a roar uh, a year before it shut down, the likes of Tova O'Brien, Duncan Gardner, uh, Lloyd Burr, and so on. And as we know, um, it crashed out off-air in fairly spectacular fashion in late April, um, because uh, they didn't shut it down so fast that the staff didn't have one chance to do a, an on-air rebellion, which was pretty spectacular with the likes of Duncan Garner and Tover O'Brien yeah. slamming the bosses for betrayal. But, um, yeah, some of the staff 
did get the rewards entries in in time before the uh, the station got dissolved and uh, eight got nominated and three of them won. Well, it was for the calendar year of 2022, wasn't it? So I guess that was That's how right. that worked. So who are the winners then, Colin? Well, the, their news team won a prize for best news story for their coverage of uh, the war in Ukraine. So I, I'm guessing that's partly leveraging um, Tover O'Brien and the video specialist Simon Morrow. They went on a actually a New Zealand on air funded trip to uh, Ukraine, recorded a lot of content, including a, a sit down interview with the president uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. Um, but the station also took out a prize for best long form video, and Wilhelmina Shrimpton, formerly of News Hub, won uh, best news or sports journalist with another uh, video item. This was a, a long ish video documentary uh, called Behind the Raids children at the wheel and we actually featured this on media watch when it came out uh, this was last october because you know for all of the coverage of the ram raid issue this was a very rare uh, bit of coverage which actually uh, and quite compellingly featured um, a couple of young ram raids themselves you know talking to her and, and to the camera yeah what did that actually reveal well, she talked to two teenagers who've yeah, actually carried out ram raids. One of them was um, just a 13-year-old. Another one was um, 15. And they also talked with a couple of um, social workers and so on who, who worked with them and, and, and understood them. But yeah, both teenagers, in their own words, explained you know how they got into it, the allure of ram raiding. One of them told, this is a um, 15-year-old, uh, tell, told Wilhelmina Shrimpton that he fell in with a group of young people first off that were carrying out smash and grab raids partly because he was escaping a foster home where he didn't feel like he belonged um, but here is a little bit of this 15 year old talking to Wilhelmina Shrimpton he was um, named in the documentary as Toby like ram raids making money for us it's just like it's like we're getting our own money for ourselves. Eh? did you feel like you were sort of taking control of your life yeah, oh god it was like I was just getting money for me and not waiting for for it to come to me. Toby got expelled for smoking weed at school. He ran away from his parents and moved in with his sister. But Oranga Tamariki took him away. Yeah, so Wilhelmina Shrimpton actually gave those teens space for themselves to say what they think would help fix their situation, some of their hopes and dreams and so on. And it's actually rare that you hear teenagers of any age in mainstream media at all but for, for the fact that people in this situation had been the focus of so much and still are the focus of a lot of coverage this was an extremely rare opportunity to actually see and hear them talking about themselves and with people who understood them there was also fascinating encounter with a couple of people who'd had their businesses ram raided who you'd think would be uh you know angry and maybe of the um you know lock them up type sentiment um, but one uh, told Wilhelmina Shrimpton uh, that after watching a video of the teens apologising, reflecting on what they were doing um, felt they ought to be given a chance and Wilhelmina Shrimpton herself said that she, her mind had been changed once she'd actually spoken to teenagers who were taking part in this stuff so this is a, a bit of her talking on the now defunct today FM to her former colleague in the morning uh, Tova O'Brien I really hope this has the power to change people's opinions. I changed my opinion. Change opinion, change policy, change Oranga Tamariki. And ultimately, I really hope that it changes the course of these kids' lives and their futures. I really, really, really hope it does. And I just implore people to, to watch because, like I said, my view has completely changed. We want to see those kids become the mechanics and the doctors that they, that that they, they want to of. be, 100%. 
So what was the other video that won Today FM Prize? Oh yeah, the one I mentioned before that won the actual video section, that was uh, also by Wilhelmina Shrimpton and the video editor Simon Morrow who mentioned earlier, also their colleague Tom Thexton. So it was a series actually called um, High and Die, The Fentanyl Problem about um, uh, prescription drug addiction. So another quite in-depth effort. Yeah. So can we see these award-winning video docos? No. This is the, this yeah. is the extraordinary thing. When Today yeah. FM was canned in April, all of the digital content of the station just went offline, all scrapped. So that included, for example, um, an audio podcast series, Lloyd Burr, their afternoon host and former News Hub uh, political correspondent. And I think about to rejoin News Hub to be a political correspondent for election year. Lloyd Burr did a five-part history of Labour's wilderness years in opposition after the, the key government took over. It was interesting stuff. All gone. You just can't see it. And, I mean, this is really a shame because, you know, modern radio stations are supposed to create now original digital content, increase their engagement with listeners, take advantage of new platforms, innovate, pull in new listeners. It's rewarding for the people involved as well. Um, but, you know, if this happens... And a station's uh, ownership just backs away from it, and the, the content literally vanishes. Uh, you know, what, what what incentive is there for people to come up with bright ideas that might pull in a new audience on uh, on new um, new avenues? Well, Duncan Garner was one of the Today FM hosts who rallied against the closure on the air recently. He'd launched a podcast for MediaWorks, which we talked about in Midweek Media Watch. So. How's that going? Yeah, well, um, yes, his first episode was to explain why I'm now working again for a company I just slammed on air as having betrayed us all. Uh, And he explained it fairly fully that he was given the opportunity and wanted to have a go. Um, So I checked back in this week and, and found actually his latest episode also, um, interestingly, has a justice theme and, you know, a, another sort of person you don't hear very often, which is someone who's on a long sentence. This is a, uh, He had an interview with a guy called Shane, um, currently serving a 15-year sentence inside Paremaremo prison. Um, and alongside Duncan Garner in the studio was his partner. Uh, so, yeah, quite an interesting two-part interview with um, Shane on the line from the jail. And here's a little bit, just to give you a flavour of it, um, a bit where they discussed um, an important issue, really, which is that family visits um, have been few and far between or in some prisons scrapped altogether uh, over the last uh, two to three years because of um, staffing shortages in the jails. Are we more dangerous because we don't get the visits? Yeah, are you more dangerous? Are you you angrier, you know? Yeah, I I, I think so. Well, I think so in a way, in many ways we are because... I'm a lot more, let's say, lawless towards the law. I just, the word is, I don't care no more. And, and there's nothing, to, it's, you lose you lose all, I suppose, um, feelings towards caring. And, and how do you care when, when mm. you don't get anyone, it, no one cares about us, so why, you know, we, how do we care? Hmm. Interesting, interesting. All right, let's on to other things now, Colin. While journalists have been winning journalism awards this past fortnight, a couple were on the the King's birthday honours list as well. (laughs) Yes, it is possibly bringing to an awards season, if we can extend the concept. Yeah, so one was the veteran political journalist Colin James, who a lot of uh, RNZ listeners will will know. He's a companion of the Order of New Zealand for services to journalism and public policy. He uh, was once on record as saying that one of those who who took the purest view, saying that people with political views uh, shouldn't be 
they, their views shouldn't be publicly known, journalists, and uh, and said he, he wouldn't have accepted an honour from a, a Labour government, but uh, clearly changed his mind. And the other journalist, Nikki Hager, author of Dirty Politics and other of those lid-lifting books. Yeah, and this is an interesting one. He's an officer of the New Zealand Order of Merit. And uh, look, he did say, look, I want to assure people, he put out his own statement, this is not a slowing down, it's not an end of career, uh, <laughs> career lifetime achievement thing. I have very many important projects to come, which might be uh, interesting words to prominent people with skeletons out there, we'll see. He's been quite a thorn in the side of, of left and right-leaning uh, leaning governments over the years, hasn't he? Yes, as people have pointed out, he is uh, regarded, I think, by um, political pundits and and uh, and partisans on the right as uh, a lefty and someone who was, um, you know, opposed to right-wing uh, political figures or governments. But he has indeed annoyed um, governments of both stripes, both of the issue of, say, military stuff, Afghanistan and wars which were um, carried out in overseas deployments by Labour and national governments. It was Corngate uh, more than 20 years ago now that uh, that um, really undermined Helen Clark a bit. Uh, but John Key, uh, after Dirty Politics came out, I think this is the one probably his book best known and, uh, and associated with his name by people that don't follow it that closely. John Key famously called him a a screaming left-wing conspiracy theorist, which I think hasn't really stood the test of time because most of what he's published has stood up to scrutiny, even illegal kind of scrutiny and uh, interventions from the police and the SIS uh, and things like that. And, you know, when he's interviewed, he's very calm. He's very measured. Never seen him scream or even express uh, much beyond kind of uh, irritation. So, yeah, I think uh, very unfair and um, interesting now that he's getting this official recognition um, because you know, the official citation does call him one of New Zealand's leading investigative journalists. So some who call him a campaigner or a peace activist or whatever won't like that description. But um, certainly they've acknowledged that his work has led to official inquiries um, and that uh, indeed he was appointed as a member of the um, security reference group by the Inspector General of Intelligence because of the quality of his journalism. And uh, not many journalists have achieved anything quite like that. Colin, we'll leave it there. Very interesting midweek media watch as always and a big fan of The Fall. So we've got about 10 seconds of The Fall to take us out. Thank you, Colin. (laughs) Excellent. I didn't know my requests would be uh, granted on the air. (laughs) 